theatrical shenanigans with Jacqueline Priscorn. Hello there and welcome to our final episode of Theatrical Shenanigans for this season. I can hardly believe the season is at an end already. Not to worry though, because we will be back in April 2024 and we will have some more mini shenanigans in between as well as our Christmas special on the 24th of December. But before all of that though, we have another play and another fabulous guest to discuss it with. My guest for this week has been writing plays since 1997 and has had several stage and screen pieces produced since then. Most significantly, her short film The Guest Room, which was shown at the Strasbourg Film Festival, and her screenplay Love and Plutonium, which is currently available on Amazon Prime. I know I'm just getting the big stars in now. Her journey began to create roles for herself and women like her. She is the fabulous Jackie Priscorn. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, so (laughs) honoured to be here. Oh, it's thrilling to have you here. So I know I touched on it in your um, introduction, but how did you actually get started on the path that has produced your amazing career in theatre? Um, I started acting when I was, my mother put me in acting classes because I was very shy, but the way that my shyness comes through is very theatrical, I guess. <laughs> um, people would come up to me as like a four-year-old and say, hello, little girl, what's your name? And I turned to my mom and said, mother, what's my name? <laughs> I never called her mother anywhere except for in public. <laughs> so I was just this dramatic little rich four-year-old girl. And then at home, I was just like, yay. So she wanted me to hone my skills so that I can talk to human beings without coming off like a little brat I guess and but I started acting and then I'm like you know what most of the play parts for women are the girlfriend or the mom or whatever and I wanted to write some some more fun stuff so in elementary school I started writing plays for us to perform at recess and then I started doing the Michigan Renaissance Festival. Then I'm like, this is really fun. I'm making people say things that I thought up. So <laughs> I started writing more and <laughs> I was the puppet master. <laughs> yeah, I, I do say this a lot. I say writers have a little bit of a God complex in them because you sit there looking at plays thinking they're only saying what they're saying because I made them say it in the first place. <laughs> exactly. You do feel so powerful, don't you? <laughs> so you have worked obviously both sides of the curtain as an actor and a writer do you have a preference between the two you know I hate to put this like this because I'm not really a hippie but as a Gemini (laughs) (laughs) I have my days why am I sitting here alone wrapped in my blanket writing and Then there are days where I'm like, I'm on stage and I want people to stop looking at me and I wish I was wrapped in my blanket writing. Mm. So I got a nice uh, middle of the road when I do voiceovers and I just lock myself in our voiceover booth here at home and record voiceover instead. That's kind of like a nice isolated version of acting. But also talking about preferences, you also worked for theatre and for film. So what do you see as the big differences between the two, having worked with both? What I've been told, and I think I agree, is with film, it's show, don't tell. Mm. So it'll be more like, you know, Joey on Friends with the smell the fart acting, you know, and (laughs) facial expression, zoom in on that eyebrow that raised. Mm. Um, With theater, because the audience is often very far away, you have to do a lot of 
a lot more talking to establish the environment. Although there's still an element of show, please yeah. show more than tell. Um, but when it comes to film, it's more show than tell. They'd rather have more imagery because it's almost like moving paintings, I guess, if you're doing it right. <laughs> That's just my opinion. No, no, I do wear the large pants, so I'll have a good opinion. But the, the fact that you started writing, wanting to create more roles for women, uh, firstly, is incredibly uh, empowering and wonderful. And thank you for doing that. Do you still think that we have an issue with stronger roles for women in theatre? Yes and no. Things are getting better, but it's really hard Um because there are like entire seasons of theaters uh, where all the playwrights are men mm. um, and <clears throat> white men, <laughs> but <laughs> against white men and they have great stories to tell too, but it's, uh, it's hard when you're not seeing yourself represented. Um, and a lot of the times that, and I work in, I, do a lot of local film too, but there are a lot of film directors out here who insist that if you're going to be the lead in my film, the only women have to be a hundred pounds or less, you mm -hmm. know? And so I'd rather write things where it doesn't matter what your appearance is. And it doesn't matter um, what your your ethnicity is. Yeah, if but yeah, no, I think I think it's a great thing to, to write for empowerment in any way whether you write for more parts of women or more parts for different racial groups or different religious groups or different um, sexual orientation I, I just yeah dis or disability I, I just think that everyone is entitled to provide power to their um, characters or provide representation through their characters and I don't think people should be able to say no you can't do that or you're just doing that for this reason right um but yeah, lastly, and it has been described as the most vexing thing I ask all of my guests. Uh, do you have a singular standout moment from your career? Yeah, well, I mean, since I've been doing this since before I was eight years old, so that's over 40 years, cough, cough, cough. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's little bits and pieces of everything that like, there's a star here and there's a star here and they all stand out for different reasons. I mean... Um, as a writer, I think joining New Play Exchange was the best mm -hmm. money I've ever invested. Um, I made so many wonderful friends and you all inspire me. And just by reading everybody else's work, it just, it grows inside of you. So that's, that's a standout moment right there. And then through New Play Exchange, I got commissioned to write a play for a high school theater company who wanted a great competition piece. Mm. So I wrote them a one act and now it's a full length mm -hmm. and it's a play I'm very proud of. So um, because I was commissioned and I never would have written anything like that before. Just while I think about it, for those listening who aren't aware, uh, New Play Exchange is a wonderful website. It is a platform where as a playwright, you can upload your uh, work to be seen and read not only by other playwrights but also by organizations um, across the United States and I believe across the world as well and also you meet amazingly talented and fabulous people so if you haven't signed up and you are a playwright or you just love to read scripts or you're an organization looking for a new script it is between 
I think it's between like twelve and eighteen dollars a year. It is a minuscule amount of money for the service that is offered. Um, and it's a great resource that has clearly resulted in great things for both you and me. Yeah, I've had some beautiful moments and, and there's many more to come as long as I keep breathing and I stay above ground long enough. So so now that you know about our fabulous guest, I'm going to tell you about our equally fabulous playwright. Dana Hall is a playwright, actor and mental health therapist based in Chicago, USA. And she has a list of achievements as long as your arm. And in 2022, the New York Journal recognised her as one of their 50 under 50 most influential creators during the pandemic. Coupled with productions, her plays have also been published with Next Stage Press, Hoya, Stage Plays and Smith Scripts. She is also a proud member of the Dramatists Guild, the League of Professional Theatre Women, Honor Roll and the International Centre of Female Playwrights. If you're not too exhausted following that list of achievements, then I can now tell you about Dana's wonderful play that we're here for. The play is entitled The Little Christmas Tree and is set during the 1950s. It takes a hard look at the themes of relationships, mental health, specifically depression and loss. The emotional and complex nature of this play can in fact be described best by the playwright herself, as she says... The loss of a child is one of the most devastating losses a parent can experience, and grief can be complex. I hope it raises awareness and reminds us we must continue to push for support for maternal mental health. The holidays may be bittersweet for many folks, so be kind to each other. Theatrical Shenanigans presents The Little Christmas Tree by Dana Hall. Unusual couple, not well matched at all. Who, oh dear? The little fair-haired dame and her husky husband. That marriage is hardly made to last. They'll be at each other's throats by the new year, I should say. You really shouldn't. Uh. Another moving truck. She'd tie up well with a slim young fellow, don't you think? Frank? It's not our place to think such things, especially about our new neighbors. You're right. He's too practical and set in his ways. Gracie. And that girl is a flyaway. She's got ideas in those eyes. They twinkle like the snow. He barely looks at her, Frank. A girl like that needs to be seen. Quite the observation, since we're yet to even learn their names. See the beaten down armchair? The movers are bringing it around now. I'll bet he takes his paper there with a glass of whiskey in the evening. You know, I'd hate to hear what this whole chair with the springs coming through says about me. He'd be wise to get some better looking furniture. But by the looks of it, he'd be lucky to afford dog suit. Enough of this, Grace. Close the curtains. Come sit. I know, I'll put a Christmas album on. How about a little Irving Berlin? This one has Rosemary Clooney. You love her. Can we not? Okay. What would you like to do? 
It still looks nice though, doesn't it? You you ask about your chair. They give you what they can, but over time, even the best-made pieces start to fret and fray. I suppose they do, dear. I think I like it better, worn in a bit. It fits me. Hmm. They're young. I bet married four years, maybe five. Those must be hand-me-downs. I should go over and tell her Reed has a warehouse where you can exchange furniture. Where is this coming from? There, in your Tribune. No, that's not what I meant. You best stay clear of others' affairs, Grace. No one likes meddling. No harm done. Well, I'll get a start on supper. Is it a roast? What? For supper. Oh, yes. It's a roast with carrots like you like, dear. Lovely. It warms the house. Dear, can you tell me where you were last night? Nowhere. I turned in early and noticed this morning your blanket was hardly touched. Oh, right. Last night. Um, just a little walk, dear. Grace, did you stop somewhere? Don't recall. Just needed some air is all. Uh-huh. Did you follow the Weltons to the movies? Of course not. I see. Oh, we should have the custard pudding for dessert. I better get a start on it. John said he thought he saw you. When did he say this? When I went to the curb for the paper this morning, said you were dressed and even saw you turn the corner on Monroe right behind them. That's odd. I didn't stop at the movies. Well, we can't seem to keep neighbors. wonder why that is. You wouldn't know, would you? No, no I wouldn't. I swear, Frank. You can't go off gallivanting. It's it's I, not safe. I, I wasn't. Really? I was I was walking. I went for a walk. Did you stop anywhere? No. Oh God, it's starting again. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll ring Dr. Schaefer and tell him the treatments aren't working. He'll help us. Don't. Okay. I, I just stopped for coffee. Late at night? Alone? It was colder than I thought. I wanted to warm up for a moment. We've talked about this. This is not safe behavior, Grace. I would have left sooner when a woman with three children came in shortly after I did. She fumbled with her pocketbook for a dime. She ordered a plate of mashed potatoes. The three fought over the plate and then emptied it in a flash. I'd never seen anything like it. They all ate on a coin. I tried to offer her money, but she waved me yeah, off. What if something happened to you? I, how would I know to, to look at the diner? We've talked about this wandering. I know, but I wasn't wandering. I sat there alone after they left. I couldn't stop thinking about their faces, Frank. Covered in dirt, they stuffed items from the cutlery box in their trousers. Who knows when they would eat again or even where they would sleep. Frank, it's Christmas time. What will they wake to? 
She'd do her best to make it okay, but it won't be. It's not okay. How funny the world is, how it picks and chooses fates. Gracie. Why her, Frank? Why? Who? The woman? Eleanor. We've been through this. There was nothing we could do. I know. I know. I understand your grief. I'm, I'm grieving too, but it's been a year. Christmas Eve will be one year. It, it's the most terrible loss a parent can have, but you, you can't get fixated on other people's lives again. It starts with barely sleeping. Then, then your imagination starts conjuring up stories. It's not healthy. We can't have another episode like last time. Peering into the Welton's nursery, you, you gave Abigail such a fright. It wasn't my intention. I heard the baby crying and I was, wanted to look. But I didn't do that this time. It was just a walk. Have you been taking the pills Dr. Schaefer gave you? Pills? He wants to stop me from feeling. That's the only thing that reminds me she was real. Gracie, Grace, we've been through this. No one wants to take away the memory of her, but this behavior has to stop. The Weltons, Millers, and Schmitz before them, and now the new neighbors. It's not just the fantastical tales or, or even staring into windows at all hours. Remember when you walked into traffic? You didn't even know where you were. The town talks, Gracie. I promised Officer Burr, but that was it. That was the last time we'd have this under control. Is it? Do you see the curtains drawn on every window of the Millers? On all the homes down the block? People were understanding at first, but now... Why won't you even let me sit in the nursery? I'm not talking about this again, Grace. It's not healthy. Dr. Schaefer says the nursery has to be packed up. You want to get better, don't you? Don't you, Gracie? Dr. Schaefer thinks shock therapy is the only answer. It calms you. I want you to stay home and heal, and, and this is the only way. I put the little Christmas tree in her room. She never got to see the lights, so I put it on her dresser. I sat in the rocker, wrapped in her blanket. I don't have to lift her to see the star on top because the angels will. Her first heavenly Christmas, Frank, I felt her spirit around me. I felt a little bit of peace in the twinkle of the lights. It gave me hope she could feel me too. But then last night I tried the door and it was locked. I tried to find the key, but I couldn't, so I had to get out, so I took a walk. If you'd just open it and sit with me, Frank. Please, please, just... No, no more of this. I'm sorry, I, I, I shouldn't have yelled. I'm just doing what the doctor said. It, it, it's not easy on me either. But I'm here. I'm here, Gracie. Or have you forgotten? Let's make some traditions together. We can do this together, okay, Gracie? Sure, of course. Promise me, you'll stop all this. I, I can't understand a mother's love, but I know we need to move forward. 
It's what she would have wanted. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's half past. I should get a start on dinner. Okay, dear. Feel a bit better? Mm-hmm. Can you close the curtains on your way? Sure, dear. Yes, hello. Uh, Mr. Frank Clark for Dr. Schaefer, please. It's about my wife. Yes, I'll hold. An utterly heartbreaking and insightful ending there. That was George Sapio as Mr. Clark and Moira Stevens as Mrs. Clark in The Little Christmas Tree by Dana Hall. So, Jackie, what did you think? Well, first of all, Dana Hall. Who better to write about mental health than Dana Hall? I mean, ooh, it's very important that it takes place in the 50s, though, mm. I think. Um, and I she, make, she makes that very clear, which I appreciate, because if it took place any other time, like modern times, then Mr. Clark is clearly a villain mm. it's heartbreaking as, as say as, as dana has always said there is no greater loss than the loss of a child and i think these two having gone through that and mrs clark kind of still going through it it's in a way that's still affecting both her and her husband and those in their lives so like i say the neighbors the people she meets and it's got to be absolutely devastating that it's still supposed to describe it as a haunting thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's hard, but you, it's true that I think it's still affecting Mr. Clark. Mm. As a man, he can't be sad either, so he's got to be the tough one. And meanwhile, Mrs. Clark is just doing her best to cope with the loss by watching other people I don't know I don't know because it starts off the place starts off like you think it's gonna be oh Abna the Stevensons are moving in next door you know and <laughs> she's just being a, a nosy neighbor and then it just falls apart from there mm. it's um but you I mean the I think George gives some great levels so you see that it's it's hurting him too. It really is hurting him too to see how much she's crumbling, but he's also crumbled. It's beautiful. I think the way they react though is also a very um, telling sign of not just the time that the play was set, but also the generational impact because uh, Mr. Clark's father is probably very similar to the way his son acts. I, he, he's very pragmatic he doesn't show his feelings on the surface he's like okay this is wrong we have to deal with it this way or you've been upset about this for too long you have to kind of forget about it's the wrong word but you you can't keep acting this way and in Mm -hmm. my mind I imagine his father will have been probably exactly the same if not more so so you know men aren't meant to show emotions men are meant to be you know the 
as I said again, the pragmatic ones, the ones that solve the problems, that sort the family out, and that's it, regardless of how complicated it actually is in reality. Yeah, and that that's why I guess I sympathize with him so much. You know, I mean, you want to see him. And I guess in a way at the end when he calls the doctor, mm. that is his break, you know, where he just, he loves his wife so much and he wishes that things would just go back to the way they were. But if him calling the doctor, that's almost like, that's the end. Cause you never know if she gets, if she goes in for shock therapy again, you might not get the same wife back again. And I think he knows that. Mm. and it's just ooh, oh so sad it's so sad it, it's so hard as well it's it's hard on him as a character because um as a woman listening to it for me it was very hard when it got to the end as you say when he phoned the doctor to continue to sympathize with him because I'm sat there thinking you know what's going to happen they're going to take her back in she's going to go in for shock and it's probably going to you know completely kill her as an individual or kill mm-hmm. parts of this woman you love. And you I found my brain automatically going, he's a bad man, he's a bad guy. But it's like, no, he's he's a broken man who is literally, as you say, at his wit's end. He doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. You almost have to see it from his point of view, but also from his, his time period as yeah. well. Um, in order to give him the sympathy that he needs. Mm. Uh, and I'm not saying that he's right, but he again. He, he's working with the information he has at the time. Mm. And it does seem that some of the stuff that his wife is doing is a little, a little extreme wandering around at night and following people and all that. It's, it seems a little extreme. I think that the two things that, that struck me about it were, um, yes, it is a very concerning pattern of behavior because it can land her up in dangerous situations. If she is encountered by, the wrong sort of individual that could take advantage then mm-hmm. she could have end up in serious trouble um but the other thing that struck me was when she's talking about that scene in Medina with the woman and her children and them struggling yeah. to pay for this meal your your heart just breaks because at the end of the day she's still want desperately wanting to be that caregiver for who yeah. what basically is this complete stranger and her children yeah i think for me the, the fact that there was there wasn't anything going on as such. There was there was no kind of change of scene. There was very little in the way of movement. It was literally just the two of them talking about what is the darkest point in their lives and how it is still impacting them both. And I think as actors, they both did incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you layer on the holidays, which is already hard for mm. everybody. So um, the fact she wants she had the Christmas tree in the nursery and yeah oh yeah it just adds the heaviness when you add the Christmas tree to the whole dark dark time that this is the darkest timeline Mm. yeah I think the strange thing is is despite the fact that it's set in the 1950s what uh did stick out for me was there's a point in it when he's um very dismissive of her and the way she feels and the way she's talking about it and I was like thinking you know this is meant to be set in the 1950s but you know men being dismissive of the way women feel and the way women feel about their bodies and raising children hmm why does that sound familiar some things never change yeah 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not for one minute saying that's what kind of uh, Dana was aiming for because obviously she has yeah. very clear and concise uh, notes about how the way she wanted uh, the play to be. But I think it's mm-hmm. brilliant in that sense that it can translate to the way things are at the moment because um, it makes it a play that inspires conversation. Very, I mean, look at us. We have so yeah. many things to say about, and it's just a, a short, short play, but there's there's a whole lifetime in there. I mean, uh, there's mm-hmm. a whole year in Mr. and Mrs. Clark's life that we didn't get to witness, but we're still feeling it all in this one moment in time. We're mm-hmm. feeling an entire year of their life. It's masterful, I would say. Uh, I've always I've said this many many times and probably my listeners are bored of me saying it but the three fundamentals for theatre for me are that it entertains um, it inspires conversation and it makes you feel something and Mm. when I say entertain I don't necessarily mean it makes you laugh but I mean it draws an audience in and Mm. this one does because you're from the very first conversation you're like well why does she care so much about the neighbours why is she talking about furniture where is this going (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Because a lot the word entertain just makes you think of like music and dance and whatever. But what yeah. entertainment means, especially in the world of say this play, is it draws you into the world that this the writer, the actors, the designers have created. And you're no longer just an audience member, you're in their world. And that's entertaining. It's taking you out of yours and puts you into theirs. Yeah. But that's because that's the thing is it's easy to produce plays about Christmas that are, you know, fun and loving and jolly and a laugh a minute. But she's kind of, you know, taken this really horrible situation and is making you look at it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, like you said, you're like, you're going to sit down and watch a Christmas play. (laughs) No, you're not. You're not. Yeah, and and I think I think that is just so smart, kind of cruel, but so smart mm. to title it that. It's a cleverness that runs kind of throughout. Because, like I say, from the very beginning, you're questioning kind of what Mrs. Clark's interest is in the neighbors and the furniture, and where is this going? And and then suddenly you're hit with the whole breakdown about the baby, and you're like, oh. And by that point, you're so far invested that you just you can't turn back it's 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 too late as dramatic as that sounds yeah you are now staying for dinner and you're gonna have the roast with the carrots with them mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah I, we are uh almost out of time but um jackie all in all uh as a piece what are your what are your thoughts i think i said it earlier and i think it's quite masterful how it takes you on this journey and you have no idea where you're going. Mm. You think you're going to find out about, you know, their holiday plans and suddenly their, their holiday plans are shattered right along with your own. It's, it's, I'll say it a third time. Masterful. Well done, Dana. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, there you go. Um, I completely, uh, masterful to use, to use it again. Uh, peace but Jackie thank you so much for joining us for this last episode of the season oh well happy holidays even though you heard the sad story to everyone (laughs) thank you for having me absolutely not a problem at all 
So there you go, our very last episode of season two of Theatrical Shenanigans is over and done with. However, as I said before, we still have the Christmas special to come on the 24th of December and we will be back with season three in April 2024. However, there will also be some mini shenanigans going between now and then, so you have plenty more to come from Theatrical Shenanigans. Thank you once again for joining me for my second season. I really hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you can join me again for season three when we do it all over again. But in the meantime, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams. This is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying, I hope you can join me next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.